few weeks ago, I was uh, visiting the florist just over the road, Passion for Flowers. And um, if you've visited a florist in the last couple of years, you'll notice a particular change. Hopefully all you husbands have seen this and recognise this. But um, more recently, it's no longer the place that you just go to to get flowers. It's the place that you go to get houseplants. Anyone seen that? Like this boom of houseplants in uh, florists. And the shop I went to, uh, you could see these growing green ornaments all over the place. And that's because uh, houseplants have become the latest trend in the UK. Like all the cool millennials and, and Gen Zs, that's kind of anyone from 20 up to 40. We're all jumping on the bandwagon. You all, the folk have been doing this for years, right? You've been uh, mastering houseplants. But we're just catching up and we're, we're getting involved. And the florist I was chatting to, and he said, on Valentine's Day, young boys who are trying to woo uh, girlfriends don't come in anymore asking for a single red rose. They come in and ask for a philodendron or a, a San Severa, and they know exactly what they're looking for, like their, their girlfriends or wives-to-be have told them what they want. And this trend is booming in the UK, and houseplants are becoming so popular that big money is being invested in to try and understand and research why it is. Like, why has it suddenly taken off from nowhere, particularly under these kind of younger age brackets, 20 to 40? And there's a number of theories out there. One of them is just because they look nice, like they genuinely look nice in our homes. You need to visit Tony's place and have a look at the lovely spider plants that are gathering on his window. And if you talk, talk to him kindly, he might give you one of, one of the children there. Is that right? Yeah, there you go. Well, they do look nice. They, they kind of make something of the home. Another reason is a lot of people in those generations, you can no longer take for granted that you get a garden. You know, cities are getting more crammed and the garden is becoming a bit more of a luxury. So we bring the garden indoors. We bring the greenery indoors and we, we decorate our living spaces uh, with uh, nice plants inside. But the third reason, and probably more compelling and more interesting for us, is houseplants, and you will know this by experience if you've ever had one, houseplants fulfill the need to nurture. You can't just buy one and leave it there, right? We all know that if you've ever had one, amen? You've got to look after the thing. And caring and tending and feeding and nourishing this little green thing, it scratches and it's that is actually inherent within all of us to care to be responsible for the growth of something else or someone else. If you're going to see your houseplant survive, then you're going to have to feed it. You're going to have to take responsibility to water it, to put it in the right part of the house, to remove dead leaves, to rotate them through different rooms. You're going to have to prioritise their growth. And we've heard a similar call. If you've been with us over the last few weeks as, of, as we've been moving through Colossians, we've heard a similar call as the Apostle Paul and his uh, pastor friend Timothy write to this church in Colossae. At the end of chapter one, Christians, God's people, were called to pursue the growth of others. We're called to prioritize nurturing and feeding and pouring into the life of other believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we were reminded as Andy came and, and walked us through that passage that that is the ministry of the church. We don't just come to church, folks. We come to church and we receive, but we also come to pour into others. We take responsibility to see the growth of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in our passage this afternoon, we get some specific instructions of how to do it. 
The call of the passage that we're going to read this afternoon from Colossians chapter 2 is this. This is how we pursue growth in our lives and in each other's lives. We do it by staying out of the shadows and filling up with Christ. Stay out of the shadows and fill up with Christ. That is how we pursue the growth in our life and in the lives of our brothers and sisters. So if you go back into the world of the houseplants and we think about where we might position them in the home, you will know that the shadows are a place, the shadows are a place of stunted growth. They're a place often of danger. Without light, leaves wither. And it's in the shadows that fungus and rot thrive. Shadows are a place where growth is diminished and they can be a place of danger. And it's no different with our spiritual life. There are shadows around all of us folks that we're constantly being lured into. And these places give limited life and these places can be dangerous. That's my prayer this afternoon as we walk through this passage, that we will see the shadows for what they are and that we would fill up with Christ. So let's read it together. We're in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16 through to verse 23. This is the Apostle Paul and Timothy speaking, and this is what we hear. Therefore, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirit of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your word to lead us, to shape us, to turn our hearts and our heads towards your son, Jesus. So help us to see him this afternoon. Help us to see more of who he is and more of who he wants us to grow into. Thank you that your word is powerful. Thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you that you desire to change us and transform us by the power of your spirit through your word and so we ask that you would do that in each of our lives and our hearts this afternoon change us to be more like your son it's him that we love it's him that we worship it's him that we long to hear from this afternoon so we pray lord jesus that you would speak and we would have ears to hear in your name for your glory amen if you've been following along with this letter to, to the Colossians, you'll know that uh, the Apostle Paul and Timothy, we see it's them writing right up in chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, they're writing from prison to the church in Colossae. Colossae is the small city located in modern-day Turkey. And these Christians in the church, they're growing well. 
quite often Paul writes to churches because they're struggling in some area or because they've, they've departed a little bit from the faith. But actually, this letter is a little bit different. They're doing well. They're steadfast. They're growing. But Paul knows that their growth is under attack. False teachers are coming into the church and they're teaching truths to the church that don't marry up with the gospel. So we know that the gospel is the good news that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That is the essence of the gospel. We don't need to add anything to it. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone. But these false teachers are coming into the church and they're saying, actually, that's not quite enough. Like if you really want to enjoy the fullness of life, then there's some other stuff that you need to be doing. There's some additional things that you need to add into this great work of salvation. Some additional things that you need to be participating in if you really want to enjoy the fullness of life. And Paul's been hinting at this right through the letter. And and now we get to the real crux of what these things were. What the false teachers were were trying to infiltrate into the church and into the gospel. So first of all, in the passage we just read, we've seen that there are things that the false teachers are saying are forbidden. You need to to not do these things in order to to have the fullness of God within you. In verse 16, we see that they're saying that the Colossians need to be careful about what they eat or what they don't eat. Now, if you look in the Old Testament law, and remember within the church in Colossians, there would have been Gentile Christians, those who didn't come from, from a Jewish context and Jewish Christians as well. So they would have known the Old Testament law. And if you look in the Old Testament law, you see that there were specific foods that God's people were forbidden to eat. Well, this is a new covenant. This is post-Christ coming and fulfilling the law. Like if you know the story of the early church, you remember the story of Peter in Acts chapter 10, right? Peter is a, a Jewish Christian, one of Jesus' disciples. And Peter is trying to still live in some sense in the Old Testament laws and trying to restrict his life in some ways. And he's saying, I'm not going to eat these certain things because they're restricted for me. And actually, you have this beautiful vision where, where this, this blanket comes from heaven with all sorts of different foods. And, and, and he hears this voice from heaven saying, go and eat. It's okay. Christ has fulfilled that element of the law. Don't, don't be fearful of, of engaging in those things. So even though we might read in the Old Testament that God's people were restricted from eating certain things, the Colossian Christians were no longer bound by those cultural laws. It wasn't necessary for them to stop eating certain things. Now, in the same breath, it wasn't necessarily wrong for them to avoid eating pork or shellfish in some circumstances. Within their culture, it might have been the most loving thing for them to do in order not to be a stumbling block to others. So again, if you know when Paul writes to the church in Corinth in his first letter, he uses that as an example in chapter 8. He doesn't want people to to have to uh, come over a certain uh, stumbling block, certain certain things that would stop them coming to the face. So so Paul says, make it as easy as possible. If it encourages your brother, if it makes your brother uh, have an easier path towards coming to the gospel, if it makes it easier for him to come to the gospel by you refraining from eating certain things, then refrain from eating certain things. What is primary is that we come to Christ. So sometimes it might be the most loving thing to restrict ourselves from eating certain things. 
But there is a subtle difference in what the false teachers are forbidding here in Colossae. Notice they're passing judgment on food and drink. Now, we might just think, oh, well, Paul's just kind of describing everything here, but he's not. It's, it's deliberately pulling out that the restrictions from these false teachers are not just food issues, but they're drink issues as well. Now, there is nothing in the Old Testament law that forbids what the normal follower of God should drink. Maybe one exception, which is blood, but he's not talking about blood here. Actually, other writings suggest quite strongly that what the false teachers in Colossae were trying to promote was abstinence from alcohol. Wine, that was the issue at hand here. What they're doing is adding to the law. They're creating this additional law. They might be saying, okay, the Old Testament says don't eat these things, but also don't drink either. But that isn't in the scriptures. That isn't in the law. Now, in our context, sometimes that might be a loving thing to do. It's not necessarily wrong for a Christian to have a glass of wine. But if we're sitting around the dinner table and we have a brother or sister who struggles with drink, then it is loving to, to stay away from wine and keep it in the cupboard. But that isn't what is going on here. The false teachers in Colossae are saying, if you want to enjoy fullness in your life, then no one is allowed to handle, taste or touch wine. This isn't an issue of preference. This is an issue of prohibition, which is additional to the law that they may have been walking in. There are things that they are forbidding, and then there are things that they are requiring. Additional things they add into the gospel in order to have the fullness of life. You see in verse 16, the new moon festival, observing the Sabbath, In verse 18, Paul uses this word asceticism, which was this kind of severe form of discipline where you would avoid any type of pleasure. And you have their worship of angels. So don't do this. Don't don't eat certain foods. Don't drink wine. But then you have to do these things. You have to observe this festival. You have to engage in Sabbath worship. You have to deprive yourselves from all of these things that would give you pleasure. You need to engage in this, in this worship of angels. Don't do this, but make sure you do this. And again, there's subtlety going on here. No Christian would say that observing the Sabbath is a bad thing. But they're weaving the good in with the bad. Trying to put on a facade of, of okayness so that the Colossians would engage in it. It's a little bit like when you're trying to feed a baby, right? We do this all the time with Micah. And we want him to have the carrots, but he knows he doesn't want the carrots. And so what we do is we put a little bit of carrot on the, not anymore, this is when he was a baby. Uh, we put a little bit of carrot on the spoon and then we put loads of yogurt or loads of custard on it. And we shove it in and he eats it all up. That's what's going on here. Yeah, let's, let's engage in Sabbath worship, but also let's tuck in a little bit of, of pagan festival in there as well. Let's tuck in a little bit of asceticism. Let's tuck in a, a little subtle kind of pinch of worship of angels, which we all know is wrong, right? I'm not going to spend five minutes telling you why theologically that's not right. We know it's not right. But they're sneaking it in. So first, if you want to enjoy fullness in your life, you are forbidden to engage in these things. And now you are required to do these things. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. Right at the start in verse 17, he says this. These things aren't what they say they are. 
You're being sold these things to to try and encourage you to to enjoy the fullness of life, but they aren't what they say they are. He says in verse 17, they are just shadows. They won't fill you. Because the substance belongs to Christ. Or in other words, fullness in life is found only in Christ. The only way that we can be filled, the only way that we can be truly satisfied is not lurking in the shadows and taking hold of these extra things over here that is only ever found in Christ. And if you look down at verse 23, right at the end of our passage, you can see what the sales pitch of the false teachers was. They were selling the shadows as the means of stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see that in verse 23? As a means of becoming righteous, of a means of becoming pure, of a means of enjoying the fullness of the Christian life. They're saying, okay, if you want that, if you want to stop the indulgence of the flesh, if you want to be righteous, if you want to be pure, then do these things and don't do these things. But the fullness in life is only found in Christ. That is the heart of the passage, folks. We're going to come back to that, that fullness in life is only found in Christ. But I want to first just open our eyes first to see what life in the shadows looks like. There were specific shadows at play here in in Colossae. We just rattled them off there. Specific things that were being sold to the church in order for them to experience the fullness of life that would only be found in Christ. Specific shadows on offer in Colossae. And folks, there are specific shadows on offer in our day too. And just like the sales pitch that was being made in Colossae, there's a sales pitch going on in our world. It goes something like this. If you want to live a righteous life, if you want to experience true fullness, and in the same way that they did it in Colossae, there are things that are forbidden and there are things that are required of you. In fact, they go a little bit further. There are things that are absolutely forbidden and there are things that are absolutely required. What are those things for us today? What is forbidden for us? What do we need to restrict ourselves from if we want to enjoy the fullness of life, if we want to be truly human, if we want to really enjoy life as a human? What is forbidden for us? Well, just think about how we're being told to engage with our faith in society. What is forbidden for us as Christians? Well, it is offensive for us to have or to claim to have a truth, God's word, that is absolute. We're not allowed to go there. Oh, you have your truth, all right, but it's a truth amongst other truths. But don't you dare tell me that your truth is an absolute truth. Don't you dare tell me that this truth sits above all other truth and is the arbiter of every other truth. Don't don't tell me that. No, you're forbidden to do that. You're restricted from doing that. That kind of opinion in the world today is dangerous and it is bigoted. That's what, we're, that's what we're taught. That's how the world is shaping us. And we've seen it play out this week. If you're following the news, you'll see that Scotland are going through a process of, of electing a new first minister. You've seen that Nicola Sturgeon is stepping back and they're bringing in, they're going through uh, just choosing a new first minister. One of their most powerful positions in the country 
a world leader. And you would think as a country, okay, here's what's important. We want someone with integrity. We want someone who's going to speak the truth. We want someone with a clean track record. We want someone who's going to lead us in prosperous ways. You would think that that would be at the forefront of the conversation, right? There are three candidates going up for election. One of them, Katie Forbes, a wonderful track record, a great member of parliament and a Christian. And she was the favourite to win, the bookies' favourite. And they were singing her praise until her Christian faith was revealed. And now the media, her opposition and even her own supporters have turned on her. Not necessarily because of anything that she said, but because of what she believes. And her Christian beliefs have been branded as intolerant, as dangerous, as standing in the way of progression. She's not allowed to hold on to this. She's not allowed to say that this truth is absolute. It's offensive. That's forbidden, folks. It's restricted. If you want to be truly human, if you want to flourish in this life, then don't go there. That's what the world tells us. And whatever happens on the main stage of society, folks, it always finds the way into the lives of ordinary people. So it's not just Katie Forbes who's under that judgment. We all are. As Christians, we all are. Society will say to us it's dangerous and it's intolerant for us to believe what the word of God tells us to believe. It will say it's unloving to say that sex is to be enjoyed only within the marriage of a man and woman. It will say it's forbidden. You don't go to that place where you're going to say that the Islam, Hinduism, Sikhism and any other path that has been created by man will save you from hell. Don't go there. Don't tell us that. Don't tell us that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Just like in Colossae, friends, our society is setting the rules for what it looks like to have fullness in life. And it forbids us. It restricts us from engaging in certain things. Those are the things that are forbidden and the list could go on. But what is required of us? Remember in Colossae, there were things that they weren't allowed to do, the foods, the drink. And then there were things over here that they had to do. The religious festivals, observing the Sabbath, worship of angels, asceticism. Well, what is required of us? What do we have to do in order to experience fullness in life? Well, no longer is it enough for us to tolerate and accept the beliefs and the convictions of others. We are now required to celebrate them and even participate in them. The reason that Scotland is looking for a new leader is because the current leader was required to celebrate trans rights, if you follow the narrative. That's what was required of Nicola Sturgeon. She was required to celebrate them all the way to the ridiculous So in January, Isla Bryson, a transgender woman, which is a biological male who identifies as a female, uh, he was convicted of raping two women. And based on his request, he was sent to an all-female prison. A male rapist, serial rapist, requests to be sent to a female prison. And they allowed him to go. Just let that sink in for a minute. That's dangerous and it's wrong. And yet when she was pushed, Nicola Sturgeon refused to say that that was dangerous and wrong. 
and instead she defended the decision to have a male rapist in a female prison. Now, friends, you're never going to have to stand as a world leader and, and face those kind of questions, but all of you will find yourself in positions, and because of the social requirement for you to celebrate the ways of the world, you will find yourselves under pressure in having to conform to their ways, even though they are opposed to God's word. You will. Every single one of you, especially if you work a job, you're going to feel that pressure. Like we've seen it even in the church as well. Like I'm not immune from it. We were joking yesterday. Maybe I'm the only one because of the position that I have and I hold where I'm not going to feel that pressure in my work, but I will. Look at how things are rolling out in the Church of England. The Church of England are being made to bless the marriages of same-sex couples and that requirement will filter down to us. We will feel the pressure of that in our church to do the same. The world wants to impose on us what is forbidden and it wants to impose on us what is required in order to sell us a sense of what the full life is. But friends, fullness in life is found only in Christ. And the things that the world are selling, the things that the false teachers in Colossae were selling are just shadows. They don't promote life. And they're often dangerous. And those who peddle the shadows... Those who are trying to to permeate the church and the Christian life of these false teachings, they always look the same. In fact, our passage helps us see what these people look like and how we can spot them. It gives us a bit of a diagnostic for discerning who these people are so we can see them coming. Actually, we see that, that often they will say good things. Like clearly these false teachers in Colossae were gaining the ear of the Colossians. So they must have been something, saying something, something good to at least get in through the door. Things like, oh, let's observe the Sabbath. Look at verse 23. Paul says they have the appearance of wisdom. They're saying things which sound good. And we hear that in the world. We hear people defending just atrocious truths over here under the guise of, well, God is a God of love. They say some good things. Secondly, they're enthusiastic in their sales pitch. See in verse 18 how they insist. They insist on asceticism and worship of angels. There is an enthusiasm between the sale, behind the sales pitch. Uh, verse 18, again, they're authoritative. These people who are coming into the church, they go on in detail about the visions that they have and claim in some sort of authority over their truth. Verse 18, this is a real tell. They're proud. We read that they are puffed up. They are so confident in their own version of the truth. And don't we see that in the world? Don't we see that in these, these things that are being sold to us? That, that they, these are true. These are, are good ways to live. There is a real pride and, and proudness about the, the false truths that they are, are selling to us. But, but eventually we see again in verse 18, they end up being exposed as lacking any reason at all. You just let that situation in Scotland with this rapist play out. It just lacks any rationality altogether. But ultimately, the problem is this in verse 19. They don't hold fast to the head, which is Christ. Paul isn't talking about Christians here. He sometimes uses that metaphor to talk about, about the Christian life. He's talking about people who are outside of the body who aren't part of the body of Christ at all. Ultimately, that is their issue. 
They're not holding fast to the head who is Christ. Folks, life in the shadows doesn't lead to life. In fact, it leads to famine and it leads to malnourishment. And let us be warned, the Colossians weren't stupid. They weren't immature. They weren't weak in their faith. In fact, in chapter one, Paul commends them for their faith. And so if they need warning from straying into the shadows, so do we. How do we guard against it? How do we guard against walking into the shadows, a place where life is stunted, a place of danger? Well, uh, last year, um, Elizabeth and I eventually jumped on the houseplant bandwagon, uh, the revolution, and um, Helen actually gave us a lovely, I think it's a Chinese evergreen, the plant that you gave us. You can correct me if I'm wrong. A beautiful uh, little plant, probably one of your cuttings. And we were rookies to the game, so we just found some space in the back room and left it there. And uh, neglected it, I'll be honest. You've seen it, Helen. You've chastised us already <laughs> over the plant, so that's okay. Over the weeks, you could see it getting weaker. Like the leaves turned yellow and the flies moved in and took up residence and it became infested with these flies. And we quickly worked out what the problem was. Like if you've seen our back room, you will understand this. A few months ago, it was a dark room and there was just no light getting to it. That was the issue. The Chinese evergreen had no light. That room was dark and dingy. There was no sunlight coming in. Now, we're not ones to be defeated and we never give up on a, a dying plant. So we trimmed it back. Uh, we left it outside for a little bit just to get some sunlight. We repotted it in good soil. And now it lives quite happily in the window. with Lots of good sunlight coming in. And the leaves, you'll be happy to know, Helen, they're green, they're shiny, they're full of life, they're healthy. And there's new shoots popping up everywhere. Folks, how do we guard against straying into the shadows? We stay in the light. Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will not stray into the shadows, but they will have the light of life because when we walk with Jesus, we are walking with the light of the world. Back in our passage, Paul reminds us that if we are in Christ, we don't need to submit to the shadows of the world. We've been brought into life with Christ, who is the substance. He is the real deal. And a life with him is where fullness is found. And just look at the picture that Paul gives us of what a life in Christ looks like in verse 19. A life in Christ, who is the light, looks like being part of a body. Part of a body where Christ is the head. And from him as the head, life flows into every part of the body. It's a really beautiful picture. It flows to the ligaments. It flows to the joints. Paul says the whole body is knitted and nourished by Christ. So two points just as I close. Fullness of life is found only in Christ. Please take that away with you this afternoon. Fullness of life is found only in Christ. Paul could not be clearer. When it comes to the fullness of life, Christ is the substance. He is what we need. And everything else is at best a reflection. Uh, just um, 14 years ago, whoa, got there, nearly made a mistake. 14 years ago, on the 13th of July, 2000, 
Ah, nearly. It's doing so well. The 13th of June, 2009. At one o'clock, I stood at the front of a church in McGull. And Elizabeth came through the back doors of this church. 13th of June, 2009. It was one of the hottest days of the year, wasn't it? Absolutely bacon. Not a day to be wearing a wedding dress or a three-piece suit. The, the, the sunlight was streaming in through the windows. And as Elizabeth walks in through the back of the door, do you know what I didn't do? As a long shadow was cast on the floor as she came towards me, you know what I didn't do? I didn't fall in love with her shadow. As she came to the front, I didn't make my vows to the shadow. When it came to the high point of the service, I didn't kiss the shadow. Why? Because there is a stunningly beautiful woman in front of me. Why would I want to? When true beauty was right with me, right in my presence, why would I commit my life to a shadow when the substance was right there in front of me? Fullness of life is found only in Christ, folks. And we have the most beautiful saviour. We have the light of the world and his works and his love and his beauty transcend even the most beautiful things that we can find in this world. So do not settle for the shadows. Fill your life with the substance who is Christ. What does that look like practically? Well, soak your day in the light of Christ. Start your day in his word. Speak to him throughout the day. End your day in his word. End your day with speaking to him. Take every opportunity that you have just to bask in all that he is. Fullness of life is found only in Christ. And secondly, we need to know this. Christ feeds us through his body. The picture that we're given in verse 19 this picture of the body here. It isn't one where Christ, who is the light, is feeding us individually. Please see that. It's him feeding us through his body. You see that? It flows through its joints. It flows through the ligaments. It's a growth that comes from God, but he is nourishing us through his body. Here's the point. We enjoy the fullness of Christ when we're together. See, the message of the false teachers in Colossae really was one of separation. The food laws that they were, they were teaching, these were the, the, the laws from the Old Testament that the Jewish uh, um, uh, communities were still engaging with. And so really they were trying to pull the Colossian Christians into, into a, a national identity. Into a way that excluded other people from coming in. It was promoting an individual experience as well. You think of the worship of angels and the visions. These were individual experiences that other people couldn't partake in. The false teachers were teaching a message of separation. But the picture of the full life that's found in Christ here is one of togetherness. Fullness of life is found only in Christ. And Christ is found in his church. So folks, if you are seeking to grow and to be filled with a full life, but you are not engaged in the body, then you are just playing in the shadows. So this week, can I encourage you to do this? Cherish Christ. 
bask in the light of all that he is. Enjoy him. Listen to him. Ask him to grow you. But please see that he does it here. Amongst your brothers and sisters in this body. Do not neglect this body. Do not isolate yourself. And don't believe that you can grow without God's people. Brothers and sisters, let us do all that we can this week to cherish Christ. And let us do all that we can to cherish his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, despite our proclivity to wonder, we thank you that you have made a way for us to enjoy the fullness of life. And we thank you that that is found in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you've made a way for us to be found in him. Through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, we can be found in Christ and we can be filled with him. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that it is in you that we find true substance, the only thing that will fill us, the only thing that will satisfy us. So help us to believe that. Help us to cherish you. Help us to bask in the light of who you are this week and keep us from playing in the shadows. Help us to see the futility of trying to find a way of life outside of you. Keep us from the shadows and bring us into your light. We pray that you protect us against the enemy, his works and effects, as he will try and distract us and draw us away from you, as he will try and pull us away from your body and convince us that we can live this life on our own. Help us to see, see that we can't. Help us to see that the only way for A full life is found in you, Lord Jesus, and found in your body here. And I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body. I thank you for the ways uniquely that you've wired each of us to help each other grow, to feed each other, to encourage each other, to nourish each other. Help us to take that responsibility on. Help us not to neglect encouraging one another in the faith this week. Help us to find ways in which we can pour into each other's lives and celebrate the growth that comes from you. We can't do that on our own, so we ask for the help of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill your people, fill this church. Encourage us, excite us, give us a vision for growth that comes from Jesus. We thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the work that you have promised to do in our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. And even now as we worship, turn our hearts towards Jesus. Help us to celebrate who he is. Help us to come rightly in confession and declare our great need for him. We ask this in his name, for his glory.